morning. My name is Jay Rosenthal. I'm the Managing Director of Business of Cannabis. This is the Cannabis Daily Show for Thursday, March 24th. Since 2017, we've highlighted the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the cannabis industry. We like to do that here every day. We love to hear from you in the comments. And always, feel free to visit us at businessofcannabis.com, as well as through all of our social channels on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you are watching this on YouTube, please, please, please do subscribe. Following today's rundown of the top news, we'll connect with Thomas Wynn Stanley. He's the Vice President of Marketing at Theory Wellness to discuss Theory Wellness's approach to marketing and how the Northeast cannabis market is developing in the U.S. A couple of updates. Uh, next week, March 30th, we'll reconvene our retail series online. It's presented by Leafly and Vitrina Group. We'll be talking about how to prepare your cannabis retail store or dispensary for the 420 holiday. Then, in September of 2022, so the 21st and 22nd of September, we'll be in New York for Business of Cannabis New York for a Bonanza two-day event. More information in the links below. For today's stories, we've got more on Cresco's $2 billion all-stock deal for Columbia Care. And not to be left out, Canada's Aurora's acquisition of Terra Pharma, known for its Thrive and Grey Bear brands. More on that as well. Cannabis is booming on reservations in New York. And the UK extends post-Brexit measures for access to Dutch cannabis oils in the UK. For our first story, Chicago-based Cresco Labs is acquiring rival Columbia Care based in New York for a $2 billion all-stock deal. This is uh, in a story that was broken by the Chicago Sun-Times. The deal could make Cresco's America's largest MSO, combining Cresco's existing presence in 10 states to another eight where Columbia Care operates. The acquisition will also mean the company will operate in more than 100 dispensaries across the country. Cresco's CEO got in all the buzzwords in a press release stating the acquisition brings together two of the leading operators in the industry, pairing a leading footprint with proven operational brand and competitive excellence. The combination is highly complementary, insert accretive, and provides unmatched scale, depth, diversification, and long-term growth. For our second story, the strategy hasn't really worked out super well for Canopy or Hexo in Canada, but perhaps Aurora's luck will be different in its premium cannabis-focused acquisition of Terra Pharma, the parent company of Thrive, which also operates the Greybeard brand. The deal's worth $38 million. Here's some other buzzwords. Brands are moving too fast. The consumers are moving too fast. This according to Miguel Martin, the CEO of Aurora, he told CTV News, the only thing that's really consistent right now is really good people, and Thrive has that in spades. We agree. Bob and Robin, we're looking at you. For our third story, sovereign indigenous nations located within New York state borders are opening cannabis stores ahead of the shops that will be regulated by the state. This is in a story in Politico. Now, here are some of the details. The Seneca Reservation is the closest place to buy legal cannabis from western New York. The Cayuga Nation has plans to open a 15,000-square-foot cultivation facility. The St. Regis Mohawk Tribe launched its first cannabis retail sales. Now, questions remain about how New York's regulated cannabis industry can integrate, like whether Native Americans can apply for social equity licenses or if its products made on reservations can be sold in New York stores or vice versa. And like gasoline and cigarettes, cannabis is not taxed on reservations. Uh, a quote from a Republican state senator said, you can see how far people will drive to save $5 on a tank of gas on native territory. How far will people drive to save $50 on a bag of weed? That guy's name is Senator George Borrello, um, whose district includes the Seneca Territory. Quote, that's really going to hurt the legal market. We shall see how that unfolds in New York. 
for our final story. After Brexit threatened to access uh, threatened access to bedrock cans of cannabis oils from the Netherlands needed by approximately 40 children with epilepsy, the UK's Department of Health and Social Care announced they've extended emergency measures that will remain that will contain the supply uh, remain the supply till uh, July 2022. This in a story. Uh, and business can. The extension will, quote, allow domestic production to be established and approved in the UK. But so far, it's taking longer than anticipated. So UK is keeping the doors open to that oil. Those are the stories we're watching today. Join 10,000 others and catch all of these stories in your inbox every day at 7 a.m. Eastern with our Cannabis Daily Newsletter. Coming up on our BOC Live segment, Thomas Wynn Stanley, the Vice President of Marketing at Theory Wellness, will be on to talk about how the markets in Maine and Massachusetts differ from one another, how Theory Wellness approaches marketing, and how the Northeast cannabis market is developing right now. This is Thomas Wynn Stanley. Thomas, thanks for being here. Jay, thanks for having me, man. Well, uh, before we even get into Theory Wellness and all that you do, know that two of my favorite places in the world are Massachusetts, where I am from, and Maine, where we like to go uh, every summer. So it's like, you know, it's a little piece of my heart that we're going to talk about today. A little slice of heaven, those two New England states, which, fun fact, uh, are the only two New England, well, Maine is the only New England state that doesn't touch Massachusetts. Wow, I didn't even know that. No, damn. Because right, like as you drive north from like Boston, takes notes here. You got you you hit you hit New Hampshire, and then you get to Maine. That's all. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, one of my favorite billboards in New England is actually the one that is in between New England, in between Mass and in Maine. It's like there's one billboard on that stretch of corridor, which I've had many discussions over. Yeah, it's very. It's a quick hit. but uh, so, so, so uh, Massachusetts and Maine, um, you guys operate in both places. Uh, first of all, like, are there differences between those two markets? Like, do you, do you find that people want different things, that marketing is different? Like, are, are people different consumers in each place? Definitely. So I think a lot of it comes back to the difference in consumers comes back to the way that the legal programs came to fruition. So, um, you know, not unlike, they're not totally dissimilar from, you know, both of them had very robust medical programs that then transitioned into adult use. The way that the medical programs both came into, you know, the markets were very varying degrees of regulation. So in Massachusetts, very regulated, lots of rules and restrictions. Cannabis Control Commission really oversees a lot of these operations. In Maine, it was a little bit looser. Um, You know, plant counts were different. Using metric is something that they're still not doing. And so what, in a lot of ways, Maine was growing a lot of wonderful cannabis that was for medical use only. Um, And those consumers are really, really advanced because of the proliferation of access was much broader by comparison within a medical market in Massachusetts. And so intrinsically, you have a much wider audience segment with a lot of different products in Maine that maybe are a little bit more advanced than what Massachusetts had early on. And they definitely have different wants. Um, I think especially when you look at price comparisons, Massachusetts is a little bit more expensive than what you're seeing in Maine. Um, And so I think you have a lot of different consumers and then also the homegrown network is just incredible in Maine. I mean, some of the best growers that I've ever used cannabis from 
I mean, some of these cultivators are some of like the best cuts of Mac one I've ever had. Some of the best uh, white Buffalo um, was I've received out there. And I've not actually seen a lot of competitors who are cultivating at the level that Maine does, which is also strange because you're like Maine of all places, a low populous state. But, you know, and again, I think it's a it's an interesting thing because Maine also doesn't have the draw that Mass has from, you know, New York or Connecticut because, you know, they're not getting that population density coming to them. So definitely two very different markets, but they have a lot of overlap um, and we're still learning. I mean, we learn from our customers in each of these markets what they want and we try to react accordingly. Um, they're different, but they're the same in certain ways. Um, yeah. A lot of it came from the come up. Yeah. And also, even the way you just described the cannabis approach, it actually reflects the state's personalities themselves, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, even even the Very growers so. in Maine, right? The legacy growers in Maine, you know, it's a pretty, I would say, libertarian approach to life, which is why many people yeah. like to live there. It's very, very rural, aside from yeah. some, some very small towns. Although we were in uh, Portland last summer, and, it, you know, mm. there's there's cannabis around. Like, it's, and and the dispensaries are there and, and not hidden, not unlike some, you know, uh, B or C level real estate, like, you know, main street type of stores. So it was interesting yeah. to see. And actually in Massachusetts, it's like that, but less, it's actually less like that. Like my hometown, the dispensaries that we were talking about in Bridgewater, mm -hmm. um, where my sister lives, um, there's one, there's one of your shops. So it is interesting to sort of think about, you know, emerging markets, which I think mimic what more the next wave of markets will look like, like in New York and other places, it'll look much more yeah. like Massachusetts than it does California and Colorado. Is that your take as Very well? Very much so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of it is just like a, you know, there's a causality of regulation that is now proliferating where, you know, back when Colorado went legal, it was kind of an experiment for, you know, like, are we going to, is the federal government going to do anything about this? It's like, no, they didn't. Right. But I think every step that is now taken, the federal government actually has a little bit more involvement on regulation, whether it's the federal government or the state, right. the states themselves. The states, as you see these new regulations coming out, a lot of them are getting a lot more stringent. Um, you know, New York is got going to have a really, really tight approach to their the number of caps, who gets a license, you know, their restrictions on vertical integration. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I guess like Oklahoma is another kind of an interesting case too, where it's just like, yeah, any like it's just why it is like Oklahoma is the Wild West. I mean, I was talking to exotic mike from exotic genetics and he was saying it is unlike any other market which is still a relatively newer market right um and i also think too there's something to be said for the east coast and west coast divide too i mean yeah. you know it, it, it affects everything it affects every product right i mean um yeah and, I, and actually th th that's the interesting part obviously you know massachusetts and the realm is it's fairly you know it's been a number of years that it's been legal maine mm -hmm. is i think a little bit behind but but now we see this northeast I don't know, group of states, right, that are now mm -hmm. in a rush, right, because New York is going and you're down the street from New York yeah. in Western Massachusetts and New Jersey and Connecticut is happening. And actually, you know, I, I, I'm actually interested sort of thinking about where you are located, where, where your headquarters are or where you are. Um, you know, when you drive on the Mass Pike in Western Massachusetts, you see a lot of cannabis advertising and, and it's not the most populous part of Massachusetts, but it's obviously advertising to people on their way to and through. Right. And, and totally. those people are from Connecticut, New York and heading to heading maybe to Massachusetts, but also heading to Vermont and New Hampshire and all that. Like how much does that factor into sort of how you market um, 
how you market like to out of staters yeah. or people passing through and how does that change as the states around it start to start to legalize yeah that's a great that's a really good question and and it's it's difficult to answer i mean because i think in a lot of ways we're not i don't really think we don't think so much about marketing as like okay well i want to i want to get new yorkers to come right. to us and like that's going to be my goal of my marketing is i want to make sure that i get these people to do this one action uh, we actually look at it a little bit differently we're like okay let's figure out how we design the coolest like five pack pre-roll tin like let's really think through like as a consumer what do we really want to have and what is that experience and I think a lot of where we look at our marketing is that if you build it, they will come. If you do interesting things, you will get attention. If you take a strategic approach on your customer service, you're going to create wins. And so we, we always try to, it's almost like, because this is not like any other category I've worked in. I mean, I've worked in CPG, I've worked in pharma where it's like, okay, here's your audience demo. And then you're going to go at this person. You're going to try to try to get them to bite on a, line of copy that is going to resonate with them and for us it's we almost have a little bit of a liberty in that well nobody's really has expectations around what our marketing should be doing aside right. from promoting products that we think are really great right. and we've actually worked really hard to focus really like how do we get our operations and our brand aesthetic cohesive and feeling like okay this is a reflection of what we want to be producing and these products are a reflection of who we want to be as a brand and then the audience starts to come with some of that. Um, we also are super cognizant of like, yeah, we're for a long time, we were the closest dispensary to New York City. Right. Like that naturally is going to have a lot of halo effect for us, you know, on the marketing side. And what we're really focused on is that knowing a lot of the marketing vehicles that are traditionally used, like AdWords and social, and these things aren't really variables that we can rely on to say, okay, well, I want to spend money on the 45 to 54 year olds to come to visit theory. We can't really do that. So you were almost tasked to be able to be like, okay, we'll build a really good brand and let people naturally come towards it. And then when you do have opportunity, capitalize on it and treat that opportunity with respect. So, you know, I say this more of like a 10,000 foot view is like, yeah, I'm more focused on like, how do I get my like pre-roll tube to like look really clean with black on black, yeah. you know? And what, what ultimately happens is that we also build really good marketing foundations. So when people visit us, we make sure that we can capture what we can capture. And we also stay engaged with them. Um, I'm not a department that's like set up 50 automations and just like hammer people. Right. We honestly use, my team knows this, like our expression is only speak if you have something important to say to your consumer. Like, I don't want to push a bunch of messaging and send an email every day and a text message every day if I don't think you're going to want to hear what we have to say. Right. And that's also really worked well too. And that's also kind of within the spirit of our brand too, where at the end of the day, you know, our founders are two 34 year old guys who love cannabis. And our whole focus has been how do we make this something that we all want to enjoy as cannabis enthusiasts? And that's been a lot of our governing North Star. And that approach, I think, has resonated with people who are in, you know, Albany or New York City or, you know, Hartford. And I think they come in, they go, oh, these guys, like, they, they kind of get what they, these guys know kind of what they want the industry to be. And they know where they stand in this industry. Um, and that for us is really, I mean, for me as a marketer, man, like, that's the dream. I mean, we are living the dream you know, day in and day out. 
and we just we know when to capitalize on opportunity and we push boundaries and we've had a lot of firsts we're one of the first beverages in massachusetts to come out we had one of the first outdoor farms on the east coast that was regulated which was a huge risk and a lot of that too is like people are curious and we invite people to come learn more and um you know and i think holistically we're running an operation where at all different levels everybody's very much on the same page about what are we here for and I think the consumers feel that too, and they yeah. keep coming back. Talk a little bit about that because, um, as you talked about, I, I the word that comes to mind is like it's a respectful relationship between you and your customers, which which matters. And when you have something interesting to tell them, you tell them. But I guess that actually goes to new products too. Like you talk about the beverages, right? Like this is one thing that Canada's done extremely well because it's extremely capital yeah. intensive. Is like we have tons of beverages, and they're like they're really good. They were bad, and now they are really good. Uh, and we have yeah. like all up and down the you know, ingredients and you know, all that stuff. But like, talk about that, like when it is time to roll out new products, whether it's outdoor grown or whether it's uh, beverages, whatever it is, like is it's easier to turn on, I would imagine to say, look, we actually have something to tell you. It's something really unique. Come now. Yeah. I mean, and that's really what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're always looking for, you know, we're never, we're never kind of, there's, there's not a lot of complacency with us. Um, we're always looking to kind of figure out, okay, well, how do we do this better? Like we started out with one line of CO2 vapes and then we started messing around with live resin and flash frozen. And we're like, dang, you know, this is actually a really great product. And then we'll honestly, Jay, we'll send an email out to our audience and say, you know, if you've bought a vape in the last six months, we'll send vape users an email and say, what do you like about our vapes? What do you not like about our vapes? Are there brands that you've seen that you'd like to try? Are there extraction methods you're interested in and truthfully you know we can have our own opinions which are count for a lot obviously but then if our consumers like hey actually you know what these live resin extract pens that i've been getting out in seattle are incredible would you guys ever do something similar and we'll say oh that's really interesting and then you know six months down the road and we're like hey we have live resin pens people are like damn like you listen to us like crazy um and it's ironic and we're always kind of looking at those, you know, we're looking at trends, you know, globally, because if something, if people really like something enough, you'll know. And if you can scale your operation to create those kind of wins and provide these resource or these products that people want, I mean, that's awesome. And people, you know, people will tell you what they want and what they don't want. And they'll also tell you what they want to hear and what they don't want to hear too. <laughs> And so the unsubscribe is pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, and we're, we're fortunate where we've got a very robust mailing list and we're still averaging like a 30 plus percent open rate with, you know, close to a 10% conversion rate on our website, you know, and, and that, those are, those are big, those are really, really powerful numbers in a marketing space. And so we're really cognizant because we also know if we're working on a product, we're not going to put the time and energy into a product if we don't think it's going to do well. And we do, you know, we'll, we go through, you know, our marketing teams are only good as our product development teams. And my role works really closely with product development to see this journey from like, Hey, let's go make this thing. I'll go do research and try to find out, is there proof of concept behind this idea? Let's go ask some people, let's go get some test products. Let's see how this goes. We'll also bring it to our employees and say, hey, we made this. I mean, I, I, no joke, I don't have one with me, but we are testing a new product and it's a metal can with a single label. And our employees are like, what is this? And then they give us really good feedback and we'll go back and reformulate until we get to a point where it's perfect. 
And by that time, when you say, hey, we have this new thing, our audience is like, ooh, tell us what it is and we want to know. And, you know, and that makes it really easy for us when we say, hey, new product drop, you know, high five seltzers, come and get them. People get really, really amped. And so- I'm amped. <laughs> but big, that's good. <laughs> yeah, big plans this summer. Uh, we'll be driving through. All, many of your locations, I'll be right by, both in my shooting, so- I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan my trip yeah. accordingly. We'll meet you there. Well, yeah, no, by all means, man. And honestly, like, we'll show you the facility. I mean, we'll show you where it's like every time I walk into our production facilities, it's literally like going, like, I feel like one of the kids in Willy Wonka. Yeah, it's like it's better. I, it's even better. Yeah. And then it's like you see your branding come out on something. And, you know, our high five seltzers, I mean, what was amazing about that is that was one of the first seltzers launched on the East Coast. Um, we sold a million cans in nine months. I mean, and that is beating most craft breweries annually. I mean, I mean, that's just like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But again, we also, I think we, we do a good job of finding the balance of like, let's, let's just not produce for the sake of, let's not create, let's not create solutions to problems that don't exist. Let's create solutions to problems that do exist. And let's make sure we're being conscious about, about it. Well, as soon as I'm going to send you the dates and I'm going to be driving through, it's going to be, it's going to be gangbusters <laughs> in Great Barrington. I'm, I'm just kidding. Oh um, man, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll open the door for you, Jay, and I'll meet you there. Great. It'd be totally great. Um, I really appreciate the time. I'm going to leave it there so we can connect this summer and, and put out another, uh, another video. I appreciate the time. We look forward to meeting you and seeing you. Thanks for the update of what's Absolutely. going on there and uh, nice to connect. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jay. You got it. That was episode 54 of the Cannabis Daily Show. Thank you for joining us here on YouTube or wherever you saw the program. And please go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. It really helps us a lot. See you tomorrow.